Houston, Annapolis Center, do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, Center. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra-bright, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac 1-1 and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Hey, this is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. But first, let me introduce the members of the posse, or the poussée, as the kids say, on the streets of Paris. Girls, get ready. Sit yourself down. Get your fan. Get your mister. Big box of cleaning. Extra big box of wipes because he's here. The very famous Juan Juan. I'm here, Mac. How are you guys? How are you ladies and gentlemen? Well, we haven't introduced them yet. <laughs> Don't you get the script? What? Don't you read the script there, boy? There's a script? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyway, Juan, well, how are you? I'm well. I'm well and raring to go. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere. Raring to go. That's good. And uh, nice to be yes. seen yes. as well. And thank you, ladies, for hanging in there with each and every episode of the show. I mean, we have such a great following, don't we, Mac? We get email. Uh, we have an unbelievable following. We get emails sometimes. Yes. And sometimes they're, uh, we get, they're we fit get to print. <laughs> We get gifts, too. We get gifts. <laughs> yes. Some of which we have to submerge for 30 days, but we're going to get into that, okay? Okay, now for the bad news. Sorry, middle-aged ladies. Coco is not here right now, but he may be joining us on the wing, as he says, later on in the show. That's something to look forward to. He could parachute in in but any moment. All you, uh, he's, yes. <laughs> all you uh, gifts out there can rejoice because what? our national correspondent. <laughs> what? All you what? Ward is here. <laughs> Great to be here. Uh, don't oh, Google. Please don't Google I'm, that. I'm, I'm beyond wonderful, Matt. Good, good, good. Yeah, do not Google that. Good, switchy. We'll get back to you soon. Okay. Now I have to. Uh, I have to go to the beauty. Uh, joining us tonight, our favorite good witch up there in somewhere up in upstate New York. I continue to triangulate her. I don't know why. Raven, Raven, how are you doing tonight, Raven? Hi, my friends. I'm doing well. Hi, Thanks Raven. For having me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Cheers. Is it a bun night? What's going on? Bun or? It's a it's... like a deflated uh, ponytail, I guess. Oh, deflated ponytail. Excellent name for yeah. a CD. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Great, Raven tells me hair. I look like uh, Deb from Napoleon Dynamite when I put my hair like. Oh that. yeah. That makes she me had upset. it off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. You know, she was really good looking in that movie. She was excellent. She yeah. had a look yeah. about it. One that of the was, dumbest movies I've ever made. It was. Every time I watch it, so I've watched fun. it a bunch of times. I go, this is crazy. Why am I watching this? Every time this? I watch it. I barely made it through them. Okay, listen. We have to behave ourselves because our security chief is here. I love it when he's campaigning for Pedro. Beautiful Methuen, Massachusetts. Willie Club. 
Willie, how you doing? Hi, Mac. Hi, folks. Great to be here. You know, I've been gearing up for this all day. Yes. So really. now it's finally here, and I'm uh, I'm feeling really good. Yeah, yeah good. You're pumped up, pumped up for the show, right? We we have oh. to be a TV show because our audience should see. Anytime Club comes on, he adds a lot of class he does. to the show because he looks like a very classy guy. Would you say so? Yeah. As he, opposed, he also looks like a judge. Us. He looks like a judge, doesn't he? A judge, a judge. Yeah. Yes, yes, a judge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so like in front of a bookshelf, he looks fancy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool Those bookshelf are real books too. too. He's told now us that's that. what you're impressed with is my bookshelf. That's not right. Me. Let's zoom in oh, on well, the title. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> tonight we have uh, joining us in a little while is uh, good friend Tony Cisneros. He's going to be talking to us about a military exile from World War II. Everyone has heard of the Battle of the Bulge, and the centerpiece of uh, the centerpiece of the Battle of the Bulge story is that. U.S. forces were surrounded by German forces in this little village in Belgium called Bastogne. And because they held out, the German attack failed. And basically, that was the end of the war. That was the end of Germany in the war. But what we, what you very really hear about is that there was another village that was also surrounded by the Germans, a village called St. Fit. And there was a, I think it was the 109 Infantry Company. They held off the Germans, too, you know, until the very end. And he's going to be telling us about that. It's a, very, it's a fascinating story from a lot of different angles. I think it's called The Lions of St. Vip. Uh, so um, Tony Cisneros is going to be uh, joining us with that military X-File. And then later on, we're going to be talking to one of the grandmasters of UFOlogy, Nokio Hayakawa. Anyone who knows that name knows that he's done a lot of research into Bob Lazar and what was really happening out at Area 51. He's uh, written and spoken a lot about what's going on in Dulcie Mountain. Are there really 50,000 aliens living there? And he also led one of those rallies where uh, they get like several hundred people out in um, Rachel, Nevada, and they walk to the main gate of Area 51 and demanded to be let in. Oh, really? They weren't, but uh, <laughs> they gave it the old college try, you know. So <laughs> Norio Halakawa will be joining us later on. He's also a musician, Juan Juan, so watch out. Okay. What's he play? <clears throat> What's he play? Keyboard. Okay. Keyboard. So he's just barely a musician. All right. Okay, listen. Uh, we're going to do two things oh, now. Man. Get them out of the way. First of all, um, Switchy, Switchy, don't disappoint us. What did you have for breakfast this morning? The, the biggest part of our show, the biggest skew of the show. Everyone wants to know. Switch, tell you us. Strap in, and uh -oh. you better put on your shoulder harness. Oh, okay. I had at Denny's, Denny's, Denny's. Diner. Nice. I love good. Denny's. This will be good. Fried beefsteak with gravy with two eggs over easy hash browns mm. and white toast mm. with black coffee and a tall orange juice mm. wow mm. your cardiologist must love you nice. i'll tell you <laughs> well, the whole thing. picked up the bill i left some behind you know let me see let me get my calculator seven thousand eight hundred forty three calories okay good for you Switch. minus about a thousand maybe fifteen hundred because i you know i left some, you left behind. some behind yeah okay yeah. good for you that's good that's healthy okay you didn't disappoint no more of that frosted flake stuff right what do you mean no more of that frosted flake stuff <laughs> yeah you can't have you can't have those high power breakfasts all the time people well. will get used to it and then i'll have to do something like an, an acrobatic act while i'm eating my breakfast to entertain okay. people all right let me write that down <laughs> what 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 show do you want to do? Do you want to do that in some show in August, your acrobatic act? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm too old to do acrobatics, so really? I gave up my circus act about 20 years ago. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. If, if you ever want to bring it back, let us know. Okay. <clears throat> so 
We have a bit tonight, as they say in the biz. Okay. Top 10. You ready for this? Yep. In fact, let me call it up. Okay. Top 10 reasons club likes to be the security guy on the show. Okay. <laughs> we, you got that? Top got 10 it. reasons club likes to be likes being the security guy for the show. There's 10 of People them? People can't see this, but when you said that, you yes. saw this big smile break out on, oh, really? on, on Mr. Club. Yes. On club? No, yeah, I well, was burping. Hey, burping, well, <laughs> we, we don't you, need to know much here. Uh, indigestion. You, you might be vomiting after uh, we get through the 10, but let's see. Now, Raven, you have the list, right? I have the list. Okay, here we go. Top 10 reasons Club likes being the security guy for the show. Number 10, please. He can slap around Juan Juan anytime he likes. Mm. <laughs> that's a perk, right? And I love every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, wow, that's it's wonderful. I get off on it. Well, that's, that's a fetish for both of you. <laughs> okay, number nine, please. T top ten reasons Club likes being the security guy for the show. Number nine. Uh, he gets first dibs on any new Raven photos. <laughs> <laughs> he, gets, he gets first dibs on any new Raven photos. Oh <laughs> some really good ones. <laughs> okay, wow. I hope so. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, share them, though. Share, share. Are they stuck together yeah. already? Okay, number eight. <laughs> number eight. Top ten reasons Club likes being the security guy for the show. Number eight. He can call in an airstrike for from Cobra at any time on anyone. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that Cobra always delivers on time, on target, right? That's right. Number seven, please, Raven. He can collect all the unsolicited sex toys sent to the show every month and resell them on the black market. There you go. That's... <laughs> well, I don't know. I keep a lot of them. Oh, do you really? <laughs> oh, no, because <laughs> I, I have to test them. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to yeah. pass away. <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay, number six. Let's get out of this. <laughs> Number six, um, the immersion tank where suspicious packages sent to the show are put underwater for 30 days doubles as his family pool. There you go, right? Still going the deep end, right? Yeah, I put my dunk my head in there sometime. Do you really? <laughs> <laughs> we Particularly after our shows. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Number five, please. Ten reasons why Club likes being the security guy for the show. Number five, he gets to live in Methuen. Wow, that's inside, but who gets that? Right? That is that's a, nice a nice town. Place, right? Yeah, it is a nice town. It's gated. You can't get in, but... It's gated. That's good. That's yeah. terrific. Can't okay. get out either. Can't get out? Well, that's okay, too. Uh, okay, number four. Top ten reasons why Club likes being security guy for the show. Number four, he can punk Mac by sending him a letter on official IRS stationery that says all post-show entertainment deductions have been denied. You owe $2 million in back taxes. Yes, okay. Yeah, right. They needed to, they had to put the defibrillator on me after I read that. Thank you. Yeah, but he's got it, so he does, we don't worry. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Number three, top 10 reasons why Club likes being the security guy for the show. Number three. Number three, he can drink free anywhere he wants by simply saying to the bartender, Hi, my name is Whitey Bulger. Has anyone been looking for me? <laughs> Works every time. <laughs> also kind of inside, but that's okay. Number two, please. Uh, number two, he gets to make fun of Switchy's toupee every week, and there's not a damn thing Switch can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> you notice I've been good tonight, but I'm holding back right so now. So far, okay. And the number one reason Club likes being the security guy for the show. Six really dig the white hair. 
Chicks dig the white hair. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Yeah. Okay, we'll see the way Raven up. looks at me. Yeah, it's good looking white oh, hair, okay. too. Okay, we can cut that out if you want, Rick. He looks All good right, with white hair. Go. She was looking past you. You know who doesn't look good right, with white hair? Just wow. you, you don't have all the hair I got. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, you guys are spitting. Yeah, you ain't spitting. So anyway, okay, hey, now that we got wait a all that. Wait a minute. You know who doesn't look good with white hair? Who? It's Paul McCartney. Why, he has white hair now? Mm. Well, he, 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 he does, but he darkens scary. it, doesn't he? He looks, yeah. he's like in Mr. He, like, In-Between. He dyes it. Yeah. And he, it, it yeah. looks so unnatural. Yeah, yeah. I saw it's, him. He, he had like kind of a stubble beard last time I saw him interviewed, and it actually kind of made him look younger. But mm-hmm. it, it, you know, we can talk about him all night. I, if yeah. I was him, I would just stop. You know what I mean? I would just stop, stop writing songs, and and you know, just just you know, write an opera or something yeah. like that. Or be a philanthropist. Anyway. Be a philanthropist, yeah. right? You're worth a billion and a half dollars, right? Yep. I mean, his birthday's coming so up anyway. really soon. Couple of days. Really, what's he gonna be? 78, I, I 78 think, or 79, maybe? Yeah, he's not really uh, yeah. as old as uh, Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee's birthday was Brenda today. Brenda Lee? Yeah, Brenda Lee. How old is she? 86. 86? I was told it was really? 86. I oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. She's still doing it? I got some Brenda Lee records. Still... I, I'm not sure if she's really? still doing it. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, yeah. wait. Raven has no idea who Brenda Lee is, I can guarantee. Mm mm. Is she the girl that danced on the in the White Snake video? <laughs> her, her granddaughter, what? maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, why don't we take a break? And uh, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M-Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with a forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Back everyone to Mac Maloney's Milltracks Off Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Aroni. Well, what a show we have for you tonight. Let me introduce everyone who is here. The gang, girls, very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. As Do you always. have cologne on tonight? Do you have cologne on tonight? Uh, yeah, I got English. I got English leather on. Yeah, I dug it. <laughs> I dug it out. Leather. I dug out my high school yearbook, and then my English leather was right beside it. Oh my God! <laughs> I, right, I used wow. to wear that okay. stuff. Believe it or not, does that bring me? Everyone did. Does that bring me back to the high school dance? It does. Wow. Oof. 
Talk about a chick magnet with that stuff. stuff. It was great because you never had a shower or anything. Nothing, know? nothing. Just put a little in your hair, on your arms, behind your ears, you're if, ready to go. If that didn't and work. you're really desperate, you could drink it. If, if that didn't work, I tried the Aqua Velva on my face for shaving. Oh, yeah, that too. What a combination. After shave, it's great. That would start a fire, wouldn't it? <laughs> it could. Anyway. I didn't smoke Coke was going to be joining us hopefully later in the show on the chicken wing. Uh, up there in Battle Creek, Michigan, the Battle Creek of the Republic is a national correspondent. Uh, already a huge meal into the day. Switchblade, Steve Ward, Switchy. Uh, great to be here tonight, Mac. Listen, your breakfast was so impressive. Can you just run it down one more time? <laughs> it was impressive. Uh, fried beefsteak with gravy. Yeah. Mm. With two eggs over easy. Yes. Two slices of white toast. Yes. And, uh, and a tall orange juice. Yes. And hot black coffee. Wow. Oh, and hash browns. Hash browns. Oh, I didn't browns. eat all the hash browns. Hash browns. Don't now, listen, how much did that cost? About three bucks at Denny's? <laughs> <laughs> it was a little more, and I, I left a very nice tip. I'm did sure you really? did. Uh, Tell get, us. Taking, get, get, uh, about five bucks. Five bucks, and what was the bill? Uh, $3. About 20 bucks. 20 bucks, five bucks. 20 something, yeah. yeah but I got, I got a military good. discount. So that's... it was, uh, you know. You get a military discount, really? Yeah. How much? Uh, I don't know, ten percent, something like that. I, really? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know, I got to start asking for that. They know my name. You know? I'm forgetting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be there every day. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, our favorite good witch, Raven, is joining us tonight. Raven. Hello. Hello, Raven. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm good. What do you got in your cauldron say? tonight? What? What's in your what? cauldron tonight? What are you mixing up? I'm just finishing my first raspberry jamming. Oh, oh my God. What is that? From Beer Tree. It's amazing. Beer Tree. The, raspberry the, beer? Right. Yeah. And oh I have God. I have three more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the night is young. She's all set. <laughs> I'm good to go. Wow, wait, okay. Talking about good to go, our security chief is with us tonight. <laughs> Willie Club. Willie, how you doing? You know, Mac, I'm doing great. Look Thanks at it pounded down. Tonight. Look at that. I had a question though for uh, for Switch. Go ahead. I hadn't. I haven't been over to uh, his favorite restaurant there for a while. Yes. But I know they used to serve at the end, you know, a little thing of Pepto. Do they still give you that? They give you Pepto at, at Denny's. Complimentary shot of Pepto. Uh, at the at the Denny's diner that I I consume food at. Yes. It is so well prepared yes. that they they gave up that practice. You don't need any Pepto anymore. Really? So just, oh, so you just go by yourself. You don't need anything. Hmm. Yeah, all right. hmm. Or anything to stop you. Uh, listen, anyway, uh, joining us tonight, we should be on our best behavior. Because it's our good friend, Tony Cisneros, up there in uh, near Portland, Oregon. Tony, how you doing? Real good. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. Okay. Thanks. Hey, Tony. Hi, You're Tony. welcome. Hello, Tony. Tony is, uh, Tony is our expert on um, unusual stories from World War II, among other things. He also uh, runs Alp Ventures. Uh, which runs uh, tours of battlefields in uh, in Europe. Great tour. A man, I would love to do one at some point. And also does UFO tours, kind of Catalina. Catalina Island, which has a rich UFO history. So, Tony, what's going on up in the, uh, what's on the left coast these days? Anything good? It's not raining, so that's, that. we got that. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Is that good yeah, or bad? We're doing pretty good. No, it's it's uh, it's good. We um, we you know we get a lot of rain up here in, in Oregon, but uh, okay. we're looking at about a week of nice eighty degree sunny weather here. Wow. So, Super. Okay. so yeah, you will time. you will get one week this summer. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I know Time people, to get outside. I know people who live up there, and I don't know. I don't think I could take it. I mean, it rains a lot here, but yeah, you 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 live in a area it's like England. You know what I mean? It rains more than anything else. It it really does, and it uh, it can be kind of depressing at times. But um, thank goodness I'm you know traveling quite a bit uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to make up for it. But uh, yeah, it, it can get a little gray. Okay, what's the name of the town you live in? Because I can never pronounce it. Uh, the town? Yes. Right. Well, I'm just outside of Oregon City, uh, and the little town, it's if you can call it a town, it's called Redland. Okay, but aren't you in like Clackamas or something? Oh, oh, Clackamas County is the is the uh, yeah Clackamas and Clackamas County is is the closest uh, city. Um, it's basically, part of Portland. Okay, it sounds like a joke. It sounds like someone. Let's give a funny <laughs> name to this place. Okay. Lots of Indian names up here, man. Yeah. Oh, I can uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of lots of Indian names. Clackamas. Mm-hmm. Hey, Clackamas Tony, Go ahead. Uh, speaking of names, Cisneros. That's a familiar name. Is there an athlete last name is Cisneros? Uh, could could be, but um, what we used to hear quite a bit is the uh, um, uh, President Clinton's uh, m- uh, cabinet minister that was um, in charge of urban development, Henry Cisneros. Remember? Pro- yeah, Remember I him? bet you that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any relation? No relation. Okay. No. Okay. okay. All right. Do you have a claim he was? Uh, yeah, sure. When he was popular, and then he started went out going out and carousing with uh, with Bill, but uh, oh, <laughs> got wow. himself into trouble. But no, no, it's it's not a real um, a real common name uh, unless you know the Spanish communities. Obviously, it's a Hispanic name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so listen, we're going to talk about this story tonight, and uh, Tony and I have talked about this off here a couple times. So everyone remembers the Battle of the Bulge. It was like the last major battle of World War II. Um, between the Allies and the Germans, it was in the in December of uh, the winter of 1944. And, remember, and the war ended in May of 1945. So it was six months or so before the end of the war, Germany put together everything they had uh, because they were already getting beat badly. They put together everything they had very secretly, and they like reinvaded France uh, through uh, the Argonne Forest. Is that the name of the Argonne Forest? Uh, Arden, Arden Forest. Yeah. Arden Forest. And, and no one no one really expected them to do it. They did it really under the radar. It was really a surprise that they were, that they were able to launch this enormous kind of offensive. And their idea was if we can drive to Antwerp, Belgium, which was the major port that the uh, Allies were getting a lot of their supplies from, they thought if we could capture that, recapture that, we might be able to negotiate some kind of an end to the war. So what happened was um, the Germans uh, were moving so fast they came to – this village in, in Belgium called Baston. And um, it's very uh, heroic stand by um, uh, uh, U.S. Army paratroopers and other regular troops. And basically, they held out in Baston, and the Nazis had to get Baston because that was kind of like a crossroads. For them, they needed that to kind of really complete their plans the way that they wanted it. And because the Americans held out there, it stalled them, and they, they used way too much ammunition and gasoline. They finally ran out of gasoline, and the whole... Uh, the whole attack kind of just uh, folded right there. But, and Bastogne gets a lot of press. There have been movies made about it. Everyone knows about it. But there was another village uh, that was also surrounded by the Germans called St. Fit. And uh, there were American troops there, and they held out almost as long. And you don't hear very much about that. So Tony is here tonight uh, to tell us about it. How's that, Tony, for the pitch? 
That's that's a, a great a great warm up, Mac, and and that's true. This this um, this attack in the Ardennes was a total surprise. Uh, no one in their wildest dreams believed that Hitler could you know pull this out, uh, pull this off. You know, uh, they were reeling on all fronts, and um, like you say, they uh, were able to secretly amass uh, twenty one divisions. Uh, lots of armored units. Um, they had about a thousand tanks that they sent into this, you know, wooded area, and uh, they caused all kinds of, of havoc and uh, lots and lots of confusion. And in fact, it, it ended up within just a few days becoming uh, the largest troop movement of, uh, of of U.S. forces in in um, uh, in Europe in the war. You know that they they moved about a million men in just a very short time into this this area of uh, Belgium. And, and how many divisions was that, did you say, 20? Uh, so the Germans, yeah, Hitler Hitler got 21 divisions together, and uh, a couple days into it, he threw another four divisions that mm -hmm. were, you know, in reserve. So a total right. of uh, 20, what is that, 25 or 26 divisions or so. Usually a division can be any, anywhere from like 15 to 30,000 troops. Or okay, so, so a division is a lot of, lot of soldiers, and also their backup and so on and so forth. So... Basically, they had a million men, million German soldiers coming over the hill, and they didn't expect them, right? Well, yeah, I mean, a million, a million total, like uh, you know, allies and and Germans, but oh, there see, were right. there were tons, yeah, there were tons, and and if you if you imagine that you know, just starting on the beginning of that uh, of that attack, those twenty one divisions on the other side of the line, we had four American divisions defending this, uh, you know, 60 mile uh, front, this ghost front. So four divisions against 21, uh, the odds were certainly stacked against the allies. Well, it's amazing they had that amount of uh, manpower and armament to apply to that battle. How, how did they come up with all of that? I thought they were running short with- uh... You know, um, Hitler was, uh, he was already, uh, basically, about a month after D-Day, uh, he was already starting to trim troops off of the the Normandy front. You know, bringing them back and uh, starting to bolster the West Wall defenses. That was the you know the line of defenses that basically ran along the French-German border, the Siegfried Line, as the as the British called it. So uh, you know, he was pulling troops from all over. And uh, and the other thing too is this was basically towards the end of the war and. Uh, uh, all the rules were thrown out the window. So he, he uh, lowered uh, the uh, minimum age to, uh, you know, be forced to, to enter the German Wehrmacht, the German army. Mm -hmm. He raised the top end of that. Uh, so, you know, by the end of it, you basically had young boys and old men trying to defend uh, his Third Reich. You would, think, you would think that by now Adolf Hitler would have seen the writing on the wall, if you will, and, and said, gee, this is, this is ridiculous, but... He was the type of guy that threw all the all resources available, yelled and screamed and said, uh, "We're going to do this, and you better get on board, or uh, you know, it could be it could that's, be your last days so on true. earth." He was he was the commander in chief, you know. Yep. He was the uh, he called himself the supreme law lord, you know, basically putting himself above the law, and uh, he gave himself about twenty different names. But uh, <laughs> when it came to the military, yeah, his his word yeah. was the final word. And, um, you know, of course, now in hindsight, we know that Hitler made a lot of mistakes, a lot of blunders uh, throughout uh, the war. In fact, he you know that there was, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. He Harry. didn't seem to have the uh, ability of any self-reflection to ever, you know, question, <laughs> am, I, am I doing the wrong thing or, or what do I need to do? It seemed to be absent from his personality. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, either that or, or he, you know, believed that he was, uh, uh, you know, gifted by divine providence. You know, he, he, he I know mentioned some of that a few did. times. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They thought he was something really special. You know, he was he was wrong on both points. You know that that several times the British, uh, the British SOE, which is basically they're coming CIA during the uh, war, uh, special ops. I mean, um, they came up with plans to assassinate Hitler. And every time, Winston, and the Americans did too, but Winston Churchill uh, stopped it because he said, no, no, you know, he's, he's the best weapon we have because he's so stupid and, he, and he's not a military leader. You know, the German army itself was a professional army. That's why it took five years to beat them. But if they got rid of him and someone got in there who knew what they were doing, God knows how long it would have lasted. So it's kind of funny. If that isn't the, the biggest insult in the world, they don't want to kill you because you're, you're too stupid. Uh, and you're losing the war on your own. So, uh, you know. Well, you know what was scary is that all those generals who, by that time of the war, opposed what he was doing, but they didn't they didn't go after him. You know, no. one of his cadre there, remember they, he tried to blow him up right. in, his, in his spot, in his cabin there, wherever they were meeting. But right. the generals who, you know, knew better still were, you know, afraid to uh, go at him at the end. I mean, they followed him right through the end right and and you know it, it he was he was you know not to get off on hitler very much but uh too much but he was someone who i mean he he had this idea that he you know, was divine providence that he was doing okay so that's wacky enough but he survived 42 assassination attempts okay this is before the war even started he, it, he had this intuition where you know they would put out his schedule but they would do it so you never really knew where he was so he was supposed to be in three or four cities, like on one day, and he'd only show up at one. And he and and he would do stuff that seemed to indicate that, you know, he 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 suspected someone was going to hit him, whack him, and and he was right about it. Um, so he did have this kind of almost a sixth sense about something, you know, like that. But as we were saying before, I don't think he had very much self-reflection because I, he, I, I don't think he ever thought to himself, "I did anything wrong." You know, I think everyone else did it. To me, that's oh, yeah. exactly that's exactly it. Yeah, Mac, if you if you read uh, Hitler's Last Testament and Will, he basically washes his hands of the entire affair. Uh, says it's the it's the fault of the German people that they lost the war. They their will wasn't strong enough, and so he basically shifts all of the the guilt, the blame on the German people, if you can imagine. And you know, outside of that bunker, before he blew his brains out, uh, the country was completely in rubble. You know, mm. the country was just devastated. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's a crazy he guy. Essentially, gaslighted like all of Europe. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. He really did. And it's I mean, shocking that he even he did. That people you know, went along with the blow his brains out because he's so selfish that it seems like he. It's such an odd thing for somebody like that to do. Normally, it, people that see absolutely no fault in their actions, like it, it's just beyond them. But. Right, right. He he didn't want the Russians to capture him. That was mm -hmm. that was his main. You know, that was what he was thinking about. He just didn't want them to capture him. But even up to the point where, I mean, right three or four days before the war ended, I mean, the war was ending, uh, FDR died very suddenly. And he was certain after that happened that they were still going to win the war. Yet he's in his bunker underground. And as Tony was saying, like Berlin was just flattened, mm. flattened by so many bombing raids and the Russians. And it, it, he was just completely delusional. Plus, there were morphine addicts and... <clears throat> 
you know, not to go too far on this, but the German army actually invented, um, you know, what we call meth these days. And German soldiers, Tony, hopefully you can back me up on this. German yeah. soldiers were given, they were called prellies, which the Beatles later took in Hamburg, right. different show. Yeah, they loved it. But they were high all the time. They were speeding all the time. Yeah. You know? yeah, so, speed. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Are you yeah. serious? They didn't yeah. oh, yeah. that in high school. Yeah. <laughs> they so were really big into that. It was a uh, Tony, in those battles, you know, the two towns there or cities, any idea what the casualty numbers were? I think I read they were very high, but. I... Uh, which which uh, city? What, what well, was, you, which... Both of those battles, were they going on at the same time? Bastogne and St. Vith. Bastogne and, and St. Vith. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, uh, St. Vith was a little bit before Bastogne because Bastogne is, is further west uh, just by a hair, you know, um, than St. Vith is from the German border, mm -hmm. but um, within a within a couple of days, yeah, they were fighting in in um, in both of those areas, and uh, yeah, St. Vith is virtually right on the right on the border. I mean, there's maybe two little villages before that, but uh, now that what was about the casualties? You know, with the cold weather and all that, you know, you read that a lot of them died of non-combat injuries, you know, and. Uh, Right. So, yeah, the, the entire Battle of the Bulge, um, you're looking at about uh, 60,000 casualties. But right. remember, we don't we, we don't want to say uh, killed because casualties can be uh, wounded and and uh, and missing, too. But um, killed in, in the Battle of the Bulge uh, on the Allied side, about 22 or 23,000. So that's that's quite a bit for just basically uh, a little shy of, of four weeks of fighting. Right, yeah, twenty five thousand guys. Oh man, oh man. I mean, it it was just brutal. It, I mean, the first, I know the first days of the attack, uh, the, the 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 Nazis just rolled over everything and everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. And and they, so anyway, so so uh, so what can you can can you tell us a little bit about you know what happened at Saint Vith and, and and you know the and why were those people there at that time? Why were those units there right. at the time? Right. So, uh, you know, before the, the Battle of the Bulge, um, we, the Allies, were moving very fast across France. Uh, the momentum was great, and it, it appeared that the Germans were really reeling. Um, in fact, Eisenhower became a victim of his own success. And what I mean by that is they, they would set up a forward headquarters for him. He would show up, and the front had already moved so far that he would only be there for an hour until he was on the go again to, to catch up to the front, literally. So yeah. um, it, it was a, it was a, a great uh, uh, positive you know, movement uh, towards the German border. The spirit uh, morale of the Allied soldiers was very high. You know, the Americans used to say, end the war in 44. Mm -hmm. um, like and, Christmas. Yep. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, you know, just hunker down this winter and, and finish these guys off next spring when the, when the, you know, the snows begin to thaw. But that all changed, you know, of course, on the 16th of December, 44, when Hitler launched this, this major attack in the Ardennes. And uh, I, I mentioned they, they caused so much confusion because they started the attack with a massive artillery barrage about 5.30 in the morning on the 16th. They just really uh, had a very, very intense high concentration uh, barrage on the Allied lines. And as I mentioned, we were very thin, thinly holding that line with just these four, four divisions. Two of those divisions were... Uh, they were very experienced guys. These guys had been fighting in the Herkman Forest. They'd, they'd been mauled up there, and they were down in the Ardennes sort of licking their wounds and, and kind of recuperating. And then we had two divisions there in the Ardennes that were brand new. These guys were green. 
uh, straight into uh, the European theater with very little, um, you know, they had their training, but that was about all they had. They had no real combat experience. Yep. And one of those divisions uh, was the 106th Infantry Division, this this unit that, you know, really kind of catches uh, a lot of flack uh, f during that battle because they, um, they had about 8,000 troops uh, taken prisoner um, in just one day by the Germans. But you know, if we have time, we can kind of talk about why that happened and, okay. and uh, kind of try to set the story straight, you know. You, you bet. So, yeah, that, that that unit, they were actually the only the only guys that were fighting uh, on the German or rather inside Germany. So most of these units that uh, arrived in Belgium, they were deployed right on the border, but they were in Belgium. And the 106th was actually holding this salient position on a high ridge called the Schnee Eiffel. Um, and that ridge had been taken earlier by the 4th Infantry Division, uh, you know, on the Siegfried Line. It had been secured, high ground, you know, and so uh, the 106th was, was up there, and two of the three regiments of that division basically got surrounded um, when this uh, German attack happened. It, it just, you know, it happened so quickly, so much confusion, and... Um, you know, most people think, oh, well, they just they basically just hightailed it or they just gave up. But, you know, there was a lot of fighting that was going on until they surrendered. And some of the uh, some of the groups of the 106th Division. So there were there were several groups of men who uh, who fought to get out of that encirclement and some did make it out. Uh, and, you know, long story short, you guys, they basically slowed down the Germans uh, in taking that little town of St. Vith by nearly one week. And that that little town was, uh, you know, they were supposed to take that on the second day of the attack, you know. Right. Um, so uh, it really jammed up the Germans' plan and their schedule uh, for the attack. And it, it just, you know, uh, it was extremely stubborn resistance that the Germans weren't expecting at all, you know. Mm -hmm. Right, and 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 um, you know when when the when the main attack happened, um, what the Germans did too, and it was very kind of devious. Didn't they send in like their version of special ops guys dressed as American MPs and stuff? And they, yeah. they, they turned uh, roadsides around roads road signs around so people were going in the wrong direction. They, a lot of them got caught. A lot of them were shot as spies because if you're in your enemy's uniform, you're caught wearing your enemy's uniform, you're shot as a spy. But right. that really, really, you know, kind of screwed up the uh, the allies at the beginning. But the fact is that if you could, if, if they could uh, delay the Germans for even a day or two, never mind a week, the whole thing was based on gasoline, on fuel, right, Tony? They, yeah. they In fact, the Germans, part of their plan was they wanted to capture this huge fuel dump that the Americans had and use that fuel and then they were counting on that to go to Antwerp, so it was very, very important that every that no no fuel was wasted, and just stopping someone for a week, blowing up bridges and stuff like that, you're wasting fuel, and that's one way. That's how they got beat in a way. You know that movie that you know that was all about the Battle of Bulge was. Uh, I find that that's a great movie. I always look for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yep. it shows all of that with the uh, running out of the fuel. And yeah. Yeah. The Allies rolled the barrels down the hill at yeah, them. Yeah, all that's true. Yeah, the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah. So go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no problem. No problem. Well, you, yeah, you were right. The um, the Hitler started this attack before that artillery barrage with uh, sending in about 3,000 of these these German commandos uh, dressed in American uniforms. And, and um, it's kind of interesting, too. They were actually trained by 
uh, Otto Scorzini, the famous uh, commando who gained a name for himself as the most dangerous man in Europe uh, because of his rescue of, of Benito Mussolini back on the, the um, around the 10th or 11th of September 1943. You remember he rescued Mussolini off the mountaintop up there at the Grand Sasso right. and uh, brought him to Hitler, you know. But uh, yeah, that, so that, that guy Scorzini, he trained these, these uh, German commandos. They, they spoke English just like us. They spoke English fluently. Mm -hmm. They knew the latest slang words and stuff. And they that knew was who won the World Series. Were, yeah, Stuff like exactly. That. You know, they they knew the the, the current trivia. You know, yeah, so they I, could answer any questions if they were challenged. Uh, and some of those guys got away with, uh, you know, um, securing bridges and preventing the American engineers from blowing them up by pretending to be Americans. You know, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they caused a, a whole heck of a lot of of um, of havoc and confusion there at the beginning of the that that battle. Right. They used to. Uh, I know one of the things they had to school them on was, um, uh, you know, what's um, uh, you know, someone's uh, Gil Hodge's uh, batting average. You know what I mean? They were what Stan Mu How many home runs did Stan Musial hit last year? And these guys would know it. You know, they were that. Mm -hmm. You know, they were that kind of schooled in this stuff in Americana. And and they did really. It's like the fifth column they call it. You know, I mean, you get people behind the lines just screwing things up for you. So anyway, so go ahead, Tony. So. Yeah, and that you know, if you think about it, that actually caused a lot of problems on our side because people were questioned what, that that were actually Americans. You know, people were uh, uh, these these guys would be getting stopped, and if they didn't know, you know, who won the, the World Series in 1936, then they may be questioned more and delayed. And and and, and this yeah. is all going on when we're trying to mobilize to confront this this massive. Uh, um, you know, attack through the woods. So yeah, there was a, a lot of confusion and, um, but they were, they were able to, uh, uh, well, some of them were able to, to cause their, you know, problems. And, and, uh, like you say, they were changing signs, but they were, um, across, uh, putting barbed wire across the, the, the roads, tying it to the trees, you know, they would, try to decapitate Americans who were driving out in their Jeeps, um, all Man. kinds of stuff, capture gas, and of course, secure some of those bridges, because those bridges were key. If the mm -hmm. Germans didn't capture uh, and, and cross those bridges, they weren't going to get anywhere close to Antwerp. So, the, the, you know, there was a lot going on, um, you know, in those first few days. Right, right, yeah. And so, so they, they basically, they surrounded St. Vith, and then they kind of moved further west towards Bastogne, right? Right. Yeah. So they they eventually encircled Saint Vith, but but like we say, that that took some time to the uh, much to the credit of the of the 106th Division and and the other units there, the the 28th Division and mm -hmm. and uh, some of the some of those paratroopers. Um, that's another thing too, Mac. You know, we always hear about the 101st Airborne Division, who you know they did an amazing job uh, holding the line there around Bastogne, but right. the 80 the 82nd uh, Airborne was also in the Ardennes. You know, they were also fighting there. Uh, wow. Tenaciously, um, and they were involved actually there around St. Vith. Mm -hmm. um, they were securing uh, a a corridor for uh, those troops that could get out of that goose egg, that pocket, to get out uh, safely and further west uh, before the Germans, you know, closed the noose, so to speak. Yeah, right. So, so let me let me ask you a question, and and I've always wondered this: How it, it, was it a total, absolute failure of Allied intelligence that this? That this happened, that they could that they could get so many people hidden for a massive attack. No one saw tanks being moved, or you know, 
logistics pointing in that part of the world, no? Yeah, I, I tend to think that it was a failure, uh, Mac, because, you know, there were actually some Germans who were taken captured, uh, taken prisoner, rather, uh, just within days before this attack started. And they uh, let the beans, you know, the, the cat out of the bag. They said there's a massive buildup. There's going to be an attack soon. Why that information wasn't taken seriously, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I don't claim to be a you know intelligence and analyst. You know, they, there's a lot of there was a lot of things going on, like I say, and, and a lot of uh, considerations that that had to be made by um, by the Allied leaders and and the uh, you know the, the people gathering intelligence and deciding what to act on and what not to. Right. But uh, you know, in my opinion, I think yes, the signs, you know, the writing was on the wall, and um, you know. To the to the in, in the defense, I guess, of the Allied uh, uh, planners, you know, we didn't have the uh, information or intelligence from Germans. You know, in Belgium mm -hmm. there was Belgian resistance, in Holland there was Dutch resistance, in France, of course, the French resistance. They're they're famous, but once we got close to Germany and we're fighting in Germany, you know, there weren't Germans on the street uh, offering up information to the Allies. So throwing flowers um, to us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that. it yeah. was it was a it was a different situation, and and um, you know, like I say, Hitler was. Uh, he was really repeating history, if you think about it, because the Germans came through that same area back in 1870, uh, you know, during the, uh, the Franco-Prussian War, and then they right. did it again in 1914 and again in 1940. So, right. uh, It's yeah, so it's, funny because everyone, because they would always consider no one's going to attack through here. It's impossible. <laughs> Yet they had done it four freaking times already. Right, right, right. You know, very strange. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so when they're, when they were, um, surrounded and, and they fought for a week or so, but isn't it true that didn't their commander tell them to surrender? So what, what happened was, and this is a, an interesting part of this whole thing, is uh, there was this this infamous phone call that, that took place between uh, General Troy Middleton, um, and he was in Bastogne, and he was speaking to uh, General Alan Jones, uh, who was the commander of the division, the 106th, located in St. Vith. The phone call did not go well. It was garbled. It was uh, cutting in and out. And in the long, basically, neither, uh, Jones didn't really get a clear uh, picture of what Middleton was telling him. In other words, he, you know, was he saying, well, it's up to you, uh, you know, Alan, if you feel you need to pull those guys out, get them out. But if you can hang on, try to hang on, because there were units that were being sent down to the Ardennes from Holland to help these guys out when this thing started. So help was on the way. The question was a matter of time. Uh, so th this phone call, you know, it happened and we'll never know for, you know, exactly what was said, but the, the gist of it is that uh, uh, Middleton's claims that he told Jones to, uh, to get uh, uh, his troops uh, out of there. And Jones uh, claims that on the call, he was told to basically hold fast, you know, to hold, hold their position. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, didn't he say, was it, was there a message here, nuts? That's, that was for Bastogne, right? That's the oh, famous. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, I, I knew because the Germans came into Bastogne and they said, you know, give up. And uh, the, the, the one the one word reply was from this guy McAuliffe, I think his name was. I forgot right. his name. Yeah, he just said nuts, and and not everyone knew exactly what he was talking about, you know. But basically, the Germans said, yeah, okay. Uh, so <clears throat> let's just get into this for for a little bit. Is that uh, <clears throat> so? We talked about this a little bit off air. Um, some of the soldiers at St. Vith were black soldiers. The, the army was still segregated at the time, but it was at, towards the end of the war, 
And basically they needed warm bodies. So they had black soldiers up in combat positions, which didn't happen very often in the war. And a lot of them got caught up in this too, right? Yeah, they, they did. Um, uh, one of these groups, um, well, uh, there were there was a lot of action up there, of course, but uh, one in particular that comes to mind is the the so-called Wereth Eleven. Uh, it was a, a group of uh, eleven um, black soldiers that basically got cut off from the rest of their unit, and uh, they spent a night in a in a barn, you know, with the help of these these local Belgian family. And uh, my understanding is one of the the family members uh, was more of a, you know. A, Follower of the, yeah. yeah, sympathizer of the Nazis, and yep. so he um, he he went out and got the SS, and they ended up going in there and and basically taking these men out and and just uh, shooting them, basically right. just executing them. Yeah, um, yeah. That there was a lot of that going on, not to not to diminish what happened to those uh, eleven men, but there were there were many cases of atrocities uh, committed. Uh, by the, those German, those crack uh, SS units, very, yep. very, um, you know, fanatic units uh, all throughout the Ardennes because they, they couldn't really take prisoners. You know, they didn't, uh, they, they did had no time or resources to deal with prisoners. Right. Uh, so, yeah. They shot them. But, Tony, right. there were like thousands and thousands of prisoners. What did they do with all those guys? Yeah, so the uh, this big group, uh, two of the three regiments that were stuck up there on the Schnee Eiffel, when they when they were surrounded and they realized that they, you know, all the roads leading, you know, into Saint Vith were covered in German vehicles. They were there was no way out. Uh, the two regimental commanders uh, basically gave the word for them to uh, to surrender, um, and they they did that in in the way that you know, the military does. They sent a, a white flag party down the hill and, and talked to the Germans and said, we would like to offer you our honorable surrender. Our men are, are, are starving. You know, they're, they're out of food. They were out of water. They were out of ammunition. They were fighting with straws. And, uh, you know, what, what could you expect them to do? So they, um, the Germans then, they basically sent them to the rear. You know, they, they are sent in columns, usually marched, force marched. They didn't get a, you know, a nice luxurious ride to a, mm -hmm. to a, a POW camp. They, they usually walked and um, they were sent to the rear and then uh, se separated and sent to various, con uh, not concentration camps, excuse me, to uh, various prisoner of war camps that were mm -hmm. run by the German military. Um, and those were located all over uh, occupied, you know, German-occupied Europe. Right, right. Um, the um, the the people, the uh, really fanatical SS guys. Uh, there was one guy named Piper. I think that's how you say his name. And he also committed a uh, uh, massacred a lot of American soldiers. Was it at Marmody? If I have that right. He did, yeah, Malmedy. Uh, that's the closest town. The the little crossroads is Bonnet, just like right on the outskirts of Malmedy. Yeah. And there they, they massacred uh, about 76 American soldiers that were, they, you know, this this American column, uh, it was the uh, Field Artillery Observation Battalion. They were actually trying to get down there to St. Vith to help help out the 106th, you know. Wow. And they tried to go the quickest way to get down there, and they ended up coming up a hill and out of Malmody. And right at this crossroads, the Germans ended up coming out of the woods on a road and just kind of headed them off. It, was, it wasn't an ambush. It was more of just... They 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 ran into each other. Yeah, yeah. And the Germans completely overwhelmed them uh, because it was you know they weren't artillery guys. It was a uh, it was an artillery observation unit, uh, but nonetheless they um, they took uh, about eighty of them and lined them up in a field and just executed them. And there were a couple survivors actually from the Malmedy massacre. Mm. Wow.
Yeah. The the lack so, of yeah, a- it, it happened. And you know, I always I, I always say to Mac that that you know we we tend to think we're we're perfect, but you know there there have been atrocities on on our side too. You know, um, it, it just really? it, it does happen in war on all sides. Uh, yeah. It wasn't as organized as the Germans thought. But you know, one thing too is that, and, and Tony, tell people where they can see the video that you guys made of this. Oh, right. So um, uh, we, or I just uh, interviewed a, um, well, I didn't do the interview, actually, my, my co host did, but uh, Red Jans uh, over in Belgium, he interviewed Carl Woters, who was the, uh, the, basically the, the European historian for the 106th Infantry Division. And we had them both on our show, the, the Bunker Boys show. Uh, it's uh, bunk, bunkerboys.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where you can see that interview. The The episode is called Lions in the Way because the 106th Division, their their nickname was the Golden Lion Division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, boy, I'll tell you, there are brave guys, a lot of stuff that happened there. And, it, and it's kind of odd that, you know, Bastogne gets all the press. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and, and another couple of things before we go to break is that um, when that was over, Okay, now, now, as we were saying before, everyone just thought, okay, you know, beat them in 44, but basically everyone was taking a breath because the, the, the Allies had run over, you know, overrun France and, you know, the end was near for Germany, but everyone kind of t- paused and took a breath, and that's when this attack happened. So now, after the Battle of the Bulge was finally over and Germany had lost, I read somewhere that our forces on that line were so depleted from the wounded and so on that there was... It was like one American soldier every half mile, nothing in between. You know, that's that's what it had done to us. And really, it 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 um, we had to we had to really kind of get our strength back and then finish them off. But it took another five, six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that point, Mac, they, the uh, after the Battle of the Bulge and, of course, the Hurricane Forest, that battle was still raging on mm-hmm. uh, that that optimism by the American soldiers that that kind of dwindled away. They just after that, they said, stay alive in 45. Yep. Yep. I believe it. Wow. Just Tony, fast, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, Mac. Oh, go ahead. Um, in the uh, your battlefield tours, did you uh, tour that uh, particular town? And if so, are there any remnants of uh, battles left there? Right. Yeah. So, so St. Vith, um, I've, I've been there many times with groups, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Oily, it's, um, it's, uh, the town is new. It's still a quaint little village in Belgium, but it was so badly destroyed in the fighting that, uh, it's really kind of a new, a new town. I wondered if they might've purposely left, you know, some areas as a reminder, you might say. You can find some of that uh, in some locations um, in in different you know different places. Actually, throughout Europe, there's there's places where they've basically kept it like a memorial, you know, and said, "Look, this is what happens." Uh, but you can also find some some old bunkers and dragon's teeth in that area, very close to Saint Vith, a stone's throw from there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and also um, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who was from France, and we asked her why do. French people, not like American people. And her answer was uh, French people don't like anybody. But <laughs> so, but if you go to certain parts of Belgium, you know, on the anniversary of the Belle de Bugs, those people, I think they still, in one village, they still commemorate it every year. You know, they, they were really appreciative of what the Americans and the Allies did for them in World War II. And politics has got in the way as far as the French is concern, uh, concerned. But yeah, the Belgian people really appreciate what we did for them. They didn't forget. And that's kind of cool, you know. Very, very cool. Yeah. 
So anyway, wow, that was interesting, Tony. Um, uh, So you're going to stick with us for the rest of the show? Can you take it? Sure. Oh, yeah. I love it. I'm just getting warmed up. Okay. That means he has a bottle of wine nearby, folks. Now, listen, (laughs) who doesn't? So why don't we take a commercial break right now, and we'll be right back. Uh, You're listening to Maloney's Military Exile Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft, or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in Wartime, What They Didn't Want You to Know, by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Mule Tracks Files Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is, I'm going to say it twice, Mac Maloney. We're having such a good time tonight. Uh, what a show we have for you tonight. Let me introduce first the members of the gang, okay? Or the posse or whatever you want to call them. Girls. Oh, no. Here's Coco calling us. <laughs> girls. Uh, the very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, girls. Hello, Mac. Glad to be here. and Glad to be here every week at this time. I hope they have some Kleenex and wipes left in that kind of show. Yeah. Sometimes I bring my own, depending on the content. <laughs> well, well, sorry, sorry. Okay, listen. Um, we're still uh, holding out hope that Coco will be joining us later on in the show. He had a secret mission today, but he said the secret mission was getting over early tonight. So let's see what happens. Let's keep our fingers crossed. All right. And for him now is our national correspondent, Switchblade Steve Warren. Switchy. Great to be here tonight. Okay. Man, a few words. Everything okay with you? It, everything is beyond wonderful, Mac. Hey, you got a haircut, didn't you? I did. Or uh, what do they call that in the toupee business? A rebuff? No, that's that's <laughs> you uh you, you switch to your 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 toupee with the less hair on it. Oh to, I see. To, to give the illusion that every week you change it. Oh, to I give see. the illusion that you actually have hair. And your hair so is growing. It gets a little shaggier, a little shaggier, and then you go back to the uh, original one and claim you had a haircut. Wow. Club. 
I'll tell you, I'm what a concept tonight. I couldn't take my eyes off it. <laughs> no, me no, one, no one could. Okay, listen. Uh, we have to introduce the beauty in the in the group before she decides to leave. Raven, how are you doing tonight, Raven? I am doing so good. Thank you for having really? me. This is so much fun. You sure? Isn't it a little nutty tonight? A little nuttier than it is usual? nutty, but I like nutty, you know? You do? Oh, wow, wow. We all do. No, oh, I mean, you know, listen. both kinds. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll explain that later in Mac <laughs> After Dark. Uh, also joining us is our good friend Tony Cisneros. Cisneros up there in the left-hand corner, upper corner of the United States, up near Portland, right, Tony? That's yeah. right. How's it going, Mac? Last time you had me on, you beat me at my own game. So that's hopefully right. I yeah. redeemed myself tonight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm glad you reminded us because last, it reminded me because last week we played um, a second um edition of uh, World War II Trivia, and we're going to pick, next week we're going to pick uh, the um, um, the winner out of the Magic Fishbowl we've had asked, and people can still do it, just uh, send us an email to Mac Maloney, I uh, know, wingman at macmaloney.com, go to macmaloney.com, see, one, one, this is where I screw it up, and this is why we get like 4,000 hacked emails, <laughs> go to wingman.com, right, no, go no, to macmaloney.com. Go to MacMaloney.com and push the contact button. Right. Send us an email with your name. You go into the Magic Fishbowl and you can um, win a uh, this deluxe set um, of um, the game of Risk uh, in Europe. It's a very kind of uh, one of a kind. Um, very. Um, they didn't make very many of them. I saw the one that we sent out to the first winner, and they were. It was really really cool. So, you know, go to MacMaloney.com, hit the contact button, send us an email. Your name will go into the fish bowl, the magic fish bowl. We'll be picking it next week or the week after that, depends. Uh, so anyway, okay, so uh, did I introduce you, Club? Well, you, you said enough. You made me okay. go after uh, Rich. Okay, good. But, it's, right. it, it, but I, uh, I'm having a great time here, not only looking at his, uh, whatever you call it, but just being here tonight. Squirrel. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Willie Club, our security chief. Okay, so. Uh, let's introduce our guest if he's still there. If I was him, I wouldn't be. But this is, um, I, uh, he's early on the show. This is, uh, in my opinion, one of the grandmasters of UF UFOlogy. Norio Hawakawa, how are you doing tonight, sir? How are you, Mac? Thank you so much for inviting me on your program. And this is the first time ever for me to be on the so-called Zoom. So Zoom, yes. But I'm just... I'm just actually a nobody. Uh, I'm just a regular guy. Go ahead. Trying to have common sense on all kind of topics. Right. Well, Fred, I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, challenge you on that because you're not a nobody. Because all, all people have to do is just Google the name Norio Hayakawa, and you'll see lots of things having to do with Area 51, Bob Lazar, just a lot of different things. So let's just kind of jump into it, okay, Norio? Sure. Okay. Now you're in New, Me New Mexico, and you're telling us it's very, very hot there these days, right? Oh yes, it's it's hot and dry, and especially where I live, it's yes. a high desert. It's not a low desert, so it's unlike Phoenix or other areas in Arizona. You know, it's right. uh, New Mexico has a northern central part, which is high desert. So even if it's a hundred one like today, a hundred two. Uh, you don't feel that much because uh, humidity is just uh, you know yeah. about two or three percent. You know, it, when you when anyone ever oh. says that the people who live like on the East Coast, 
you, you can't take it. You know, it's always like it's not the heat, it's the humidity. Exactly. I've been to Las Vegas, baby. It's the heat. You know, it's hot water, there. Yeah. It's it unbelievably is. hot there. Yeah. I was there in January and I was sweating. Really? <laughs> wow. I was there in July. But everything's air conditioned. That's what's cool. You can go from air conditioned to air conditioned. But anyway. Yeah. I did trade shows so, in Las Vegas and walked across a, a large parking lot. Yep. In in the heat of the summer, and you, I swear, you see mirages. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet that that reflection off the pavement that looks like water. You actually oh, yeah, think yeah. you actually think it's water, and you're dying because you you forgot a cold drink to to get you across the parking lot to the convention center, and you're going, I'm not going to make That's, it. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. a version there's a version of that not not the you know dump on Nuriel's time, but there's a version of that called Feta Morgana, and it's the same. It's the same illusion where it's like the heat hitting the hitting you know something that's making it look like water. Right. But when when it happens at sea, it mm-hmm. makes it look like castles and stuff and oh, uh, yeah. fairylands. Yeah, Fata Morgana, very yeah. strange thing. People take pictures of it, and you swear that it's like some you know distant kingdom somewhere. And so you can see like these sailors you know sailing around back in the 1500s, seeing this stuff. You can see why they made stories up. You know. Right. But anyway, it's another show. So Norio, how did you get into this? How did you how did you first get into this? What intrigued you first? Well, actually, it was around 1961 when I was a high school student. Uh, when I was living in Yokohama, Japan, I was in an international kind of a high school, and uh, that's where in 1961, when I was a freshman, uh, I became interested in this subject matter because I had read at that time. Uh, actually, a couple of years or so later, I read in a newspaper about an incident that took place right here in the state of New Mexico. That was in 1964, in the month of April, whereby a policeman by the name of Lonnie Zamora oh, yeah. uh, had a strange encounter. And uh, that is basically the renewal of my interest in UFOs uh, because uh, earlier, when I was just a grade school kid, my father used to tell me of his sighting of a strange greenish ball of fire slowly maneuvering over the Bay of Yokohama, Japan. He says it was in the summer of 1947. So when I was growing up, like a first grader, uh, second grader, they used he used to tell me his uh, you know experiences, but my mother was a total but not, uh, well, skeptic. But, uh, you know, when I attended high school, I began to renew my interest in this subject. As I said, because I read this news about this patrol officer in New Mexico in 1964. And uh, so I became a tremendous uh, enthusiast of this UFO phenomenon as a nut and bolt extraterrestrial uh, space (laughs) hypothesis. And uh, this idea lasted for me for about three or four more years. Mm -hmm. Until in around, uh, well, actually around uh, 1976, I think, or 1973, I became a supporter of the um, extra-dimensional origins of yep. the UFO phenomenon. That right. was 
70s. So ever since that time, I have maintained this position uh, of UFOs not coming from physical outer space, but emanating from another dimension and materializing and dematerializing at will and appearing to what I believe are selected people uh, for some special purpose. I have no idea. Right. I believe that that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, um, everyone always assumes UFOs are little green men from Mars, but... You know, there's there's just as much, you know, I don't want to say evidence, but it's it's not too outlandish to think that they come here from someplace else, you know, interdimensional, another universes or whatever, because of just some of the things they do. And also, you know, the, the thing about outer space is that the vast distances that you have to, like it would take us like 20,000 years to get to the nearest star. So obviously the way that we travel through space is not the way to do it. They found out uh, they are. They found out maybe you go to different universes, different dimensions. Cut out all that space travel stuff, you know. I think that's possible, but uh, my feeling is that uh, we will never know until the entities themselves first disclose to us, not the government. So my belief is that the United States government will never uh, admit UFOs as physical alien spacecraft coming from physical outer space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I doubt that they will ever admit it because uh, the only thing they can do is to say that they are just as perplexed as we are about right. these whole Exactly. Things. And that's the last thing they want to say, you know, that's... It's it's interesting because in some of the disclosure, um, you know, movements that were happening, the way like they they actually presented, I think Clinton's or somebody or Obama's like science chief, and and the question was, did the U.S. government have any information of extraterrestrials visiting Earth? And they said no, but they 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 worded the question wrong. They should have said. You know, does the U.S. government have any, you know, information of a knowledge of, you know, entities from somewhere else, you know, the semantics, somewhere else visiting us? You know, that opens up that whole interdimensional, who knows where they come from? And maybe we're not smart enough to even know where they come from. But I agree with you. I think they'll be the ones that, I don't want to say expose themselves quick, you know, first before the U.S. government, you know, admits to it. Yes, my uh, I've said time and time again in my blog sites and so on that uh, that the United States government does not know that much, and there's no way uh, they can tell us uh, if the time comes, if the time ever comes when they actually officially publicly announces that we have been contacted, I mean, that will be the world-shaking news, uh, which we never had before. Right, uh, that will be the biggest news in human history, really. Yes, and in my opinion, if the Roswell incident was an extraterrestrial incident, it would have been the top world news by then, and it never happened. 
So I agree with you. Never in the history of mankind have we actually uh, been contacted by extraterrestrials officially. And so this is the way it stands. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who believe in uh, uh, misinformation and disinformation yes. that's prevalent in the internet now. Mm -hmm. And among the so-called UFO industry, which uh, uh, still promotes uh, ufology or UFOs, uh, you know, it's just a promotion, and uh, so this is where I stand. Well, what, what, Mario, what's your thoughts on Area 51? Well, well Area 51 is a very, very important. Right. See, that's a, that's that's almost like a side subject. You know what I mean? Like, what goes well, on? Well, you know, the a... thought is, uh, you know, that there's some alien craft there that, you know, right. it is, you know, do you see that as being false? Well, actually, I have yet to see any evidence whatsoever that Area 51 has anything to do with extraterrestrials. All right. All right. No, I yeah, I'm with despite, you there 100%. Yeah. Despite the crazy rumors and the crazy beliefs by people, uh, even these days, who believe that there are aliens dressed as nuns running around in las vegas or a what yes as nuns nuns on the run fact, i mean the belief is there uh, in fact this was even mentioned by wow. paul hillier who used to be the defense minister of canada he okay. became famous only after he retired and he started reading lots of ufo books yes then one day he suddenly came out with this notion that uh there are aliens in uh, Nevada's Air Force Base, and uh, they are able to disguise as uh, nuns and do shopping in Las Vegas, which is a ridiculous thing. But okay, okay, but listen, can we just just one minute? Okay, who sent out that memo to the aliens? Okay, this is how you're going to get away with it. Dress as a nun and in, in, in shop in Las Vegas? Sure, <laughs> I think so. that's right. This. Uh, this who provided them with the habits? First. <laughs> this belief came out first because of a crazy book written by an author who lives right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, by the name of uh, 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 James uh, <clears throat> Hall, or uh, I believe uh, the last name is Hall, but he wrote a book about the so-called Nordics while he oh, yes. was... While he was working at the Air Force Base, Nellis Air Force Base in the 60s, mm -hmm. he wrote this book and uh, he stated that he talked to the aliens there and uh, he even suggested to the aliens that uh, they could even disguise as nurses and go shopping in Las Vegas. And nobody mm -hmm. and you know, nurses I can see. Nuns. <laughs> oh, yes. And Paul Hillier, who was a long time uh, defense minister of Canada, after he retired, many years later, he devoured lots of UFO books. And, uh, he heard about this incident and uh, he came to believe also that there are aliens running dressed as nuns and in Las Vegas and not being noticed. And uh, actually he made this statement in several official interviews by uh, TV stations like RT uh, stations. You know. Yes, 
And yep. so, but uh, there are millions of people who are brainwashed into believing this type of nuttery. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is why we have to be very careful uh, not to confuse everything. And uh, so this is the reason why I'm pleased with the recent publication of this uh, amazing book written by a friend of mine, Adam Go-Rightly, mm -hmm. entitled Saucers, Spooks, and Kooks. Yes. <laughs> information in the Age of Aquarius. Oh, perfect. Perfect title. Yes. Yes. I love this is it. a tremendous book. And I'm, I'm telling you, everybody in ufology uh, should read this mm -hmm. because basically, as it says in the introduction, from flying saucer crashes to underground alien bases, a number of modern mythologies have come into being since the advent of the UFO era in the 1940s. But how much of these myths is real versus being the invention of either government agencies or deluded conspiracy theorists? Yes. And yes. so this is the story about uh, this investigation into how all these crazy rumors started. Right. It, it, it Basically what it is, is 90% of what's out there is bullshit, right? Let's just say it. Exactly. You know, and 10% is what the you tape have there. to look at. You know, you have to you have to look into those that ten percent that just cannot be explained, and 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 drive your energies towards that instead of this nonsense that's out there. And and I just know from watching books is that you know when you when you when you turn in a book to you know let's say a reputable publisher, okay, they vet the hell out of it. You know they have lawyers go through it and the works, and you have to make sure everything in that book you know can stand up on its own. You know, because they don't want to get sued or anything, right? But when you kind of self-publish books, or I'm not saying all self-publishing is like huger than regular publishing now, but you know, you can just write a book. No one's going to vet it. No lawyer is going to look at it. No scientists or anyone expert are going to, you know, point out mistakes. And it gets out there. It gets into this consciousness. This mythology just just adds to it. You know, like it and it and it just clouds. It just clouds the real puzzle you know and, and 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 i think that has also because that is happening i think that also gives the u.s government cover you know what i mean because even when the um you know when they were talking about this ufo report coming out now this is on abc and i can't stand those morning shows but they do this kind of semi-serious you know report on how this report is coming out when they come back to the talking heads and you know they're making star trek jokes and you know, it's always that kind of cuckoo factor, you know? Exactly. And uh, let me tell you that uh, UFOs will never become the top news story of news stations. Uh, it will never. Uh, it will become a, a you know, a popular story at the end of the newscast. So even the recent uh, news about Pentagon uh, about to uh, release more information. This kind of news do not come in the front of the 30 minutes news. It always comes at the end and it everybody, the anchors, end up with a smile or laughter. Mm -hmm. So it's not treated as a serious news. See, that's what I, I find that fascinating. I'm, sure, I'm glad you brought that up because, <clears throat> let me just go on my soapbox here for a second. If you look at the last 20 years, top 20 movies, top 10 movies, 
half of them are about alien invasions, you know, War of the World, Independence Day. You know, the people out there love this kind of stuff. Why? I don't understand why you can't, some news channel, why don't they do this just to get ratings or just to be different? Do like a serious scientific report on UFOs once or twice a week on CNN or something and take it out of that cuckoo factor and make it serious because you can get you can report on stuff that will blow people's minds you know what has really happened and not have it obscured by this you know laughing and stuff it's a very strange dynamic that that's what's happening in this country that people kind of laugh at this even though they want it you know it's it's very strange yes and let me give you an example of how ridiculous things are becoming a lot of people are brainwashed by uh, such programs as uh, the History Channel's uh, Ancient Alien, yes. uh, as well as Skinwalker Mysteries. Yes. And, uh, there's nothing actually substantial about those programs. It's just for ratings only. And uh, there are some folks uh, who are scientists or who claim to be physicists who yes. appear on some of these programs, but uh, those comments are twisted by the uh, people who produce these programs. And uh, you know, uh, there's a guy uh, uh, in the Skinwalker Ranch uh, in episodes on History Channel who claims to be a scientist. Maybe he is. I think yes. he is. But he makes some ridiculous comments. And, uh, you know, they, uh, there's no scientific evidence uh, for any of the things he says, but uh, he probably makes a lot of money. And yes. it's about money. Yes. They uh, all sit around a table and they're nodding in agreement and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, the, the captions are, you know, they're all PhDs in whatever field it is. It's right. like, uh, right. And they always go, it could be, or this yeah. could have happened. That yeah. type of thing. And they go, Switchy, yeah, you yeah, must have, yeah. Switchy, defend your friends at the Skinwalker Ranch. Well, actually, I think if you, if you go back to the book written by uh, Colin Kelleher, who was a scientist with the NIDS team, and George Knapp, an investigative reporter out of Las Vegas. No relation. I think there was, there was a lot of substance there. Uh, TV shows are are going to be what, what they are, uh, hype and uh, and dazzle and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I would recommend people go back to some of the original reporting on the Skinwalker Ranch. There does seem to be, uh, that seems to be an area where there's a lot of different types of phenomena going on, which would uh, tend to support your hypothesis that this is probably not extraterrestrial. Mm -hmm. This is a, it's a three ring circus of, of haunting type phenomena, poltergeist phenomena, animal mutilations, strange lights in the sky, strange creatures, uh, that there's something something else going on. But uh, I, I really agree with uh, your point about the government. Uh, they, uh, whether they know a little or a lot, and they probably don't know much, they're never going to admit the fact that they're absolutely powerless and have no control over whatever UFOs represent. Right. Uh, exactly. They don't, they're not going to admit that we are totally worthless and anemic when it comes to affecting this phenomena, which we we don't we know very little about. Right. Exactly. And this is why I say that the government is not going to touch this subject uh, in depth because uh, the government will never admit that this. All of this could be some kind of a paranormal or paraphysical type of phenomenon, because if they admit that there are paranormal or paraphysical phenomena, they are afraid that this might go into religious beliefs even. And so uh, this is my opinion, that uh, in the Pentagon and the U.S. military, 
there are lots of uh, officials and uh, military people who have uh, their peculiar or distinctive uh, religious beliefs. Uh, and uh, some of them uh, could be uh, so-called evangelical Christians. Oh, boy. And there are many evangelical Christians in the uh, government and the military and the Pentagon yes. who uh, are unwilling to admit that uh, this is something that's not explainable, and that's why there is a silence about all of these things. You know, um, before we, we're going to take a quick break now, but uh, and, and then we'll be back uh, with Norio Hauer and the rest of the gang. But I'll say this: there's one thing I remember um, researching this for a book, and there's a photograph that was given to Winston Churchill. It was taken by a Lancaster reconnaissance bomber over the North Sea. And it supposedly showed this very distinct craft, Foo Fighter, they call them back then, but this very distinct craft following this uh, this bomber, right? So they give the photograph to Churchill, and he says, I don't want this to be seen for 50 years, because he knew this was something from somewhere else, and he says, because it will destroy all religions. So they, in theory, they, they put the photograph away, but later it was destroyed. So it's that idea, you know, that, you know, that if yeah, personally, I think everyone should know. I don't think any government or anyone should, you know, withhold the information from us that, you know, we're not the only ones here. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, it might take a while, but if there are entities from somewhere else, it destroys all religion. Simple as that. And people will say, you know, religion for bad or worse, is the glue that keeps civilization together. Maybe it's that's the problem, but that's going to happen because you can't re you can't explain it in religious terms, right, Nario? Exactly. That's why I say that only through the disclosure of the so-called entities themselves, whatever they may be, only through their first disclosure will things begin. Yeah, very interesting. Hey, let's take a quick break now. We're talking to Norio Hawa. Hi, Hawa. Um, Grandmaster of UFOlogy. I don't care if you like that title or not, Norio, you are. And um, also the rest of the gang is here. So we're going to take a commercial break now, and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Military Access Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Stay with us. It's early medieval Europe. Norse marauders are pouring down from the north. Step riders threaten from the east, and Moorish raiders are surging up from the south. Now, as the Vikings plan an invasion of Ireland, the country's aging king must somehow protect his nation. But who is up to the task? Nordic sagas tell us an obscure and unlikely hero arises to save his people. Wolf of Clontarf leaps into history as a nightmare to the Norse and avenger for the Celts. It's Vikings meets Braveheart as this legendary Irish warrior, some medieval special operations forces, and a young woman spy help the Irish king defeat the Viking invaders. It's a tale spanning 15 years and leading up to the most decisive battle of the Middle Ages. That's Wolf of Clontarf, a new novel from Thomas J. Howley, now on Amazon.
Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Middle Trackstar Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Hey, this is Mac Maloney. Wow, what a show we've uh, had tonight. Let me introduce the members of the posse very, very quickly, if they're still away. Very famous one one is here, girls. Hey, we're still here. Away, we're here and we're happening. We're making it happen. This is a great show tonight. And, and you're driving the bus. I am. I'm enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> and I'm not half in the bag like I usually am. Whoa, whoa. That's <laughs> inappropriate. Anyway, also with us is uh, Switchblade Steve Ward. Switchy. Hey, great to be here. And I also am not half in the bag. That's okay. All right. <laughs> Are you more than half in the bag? or Much less. Much less. Three quarters in the bag. No cocoa tonight. Maybe he's fully on the bag and couldn't call in. We don't know. Uh, also, though, with us is uh, Raven, a good friend. Raven, how are you tonight? I am 100% in the bag. I'm right. and I'm having a blast. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I always learn so much. Really? So I'm happy to be here. Okay, good. Oh, We're educational and entertainment. Also, mm -hmm. uh, uh, our security chief, Willie Club, is with us, a.k.a. Whitey Bulger. Hey, man, hey folks. I wish I could be half in the bag at this time, but somebody's got to be in control around here. Well, okay. <laughs> well that's you. Ain't my that friend. the truth? <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, also uh, with us, uh, Tony Cisneros. Tony, up there in uh, near Portland, Oregon. How are you doing? Doing well, Mac. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. Okay. You're strapped in still, right? Strapped in. I'm here. Okay. Yep. So good to know. Our uh, special guest tonight, Norio Hayakawa. Norio, thanks for joining us. The grandmaster, one of the grandmasters of ufology. And, and I'll tell you, I'm a big fan because, you know, you agree with us mostly that cut through the 90% of the crap and get to the real stuff. It's more fascinating than the crap, right? Exactly. And uh, so this is what I want to say. Everybody's talking these days. Uh, and, of course, there's a great expectation that the government will announce something on the coming 25th of June, uh, which a lot of people say will be the second part of the announcement, but there's nothing drastic is gonna come out because the vast majority of the world's reputable scientists and engineers are not getting excited about UFO videos, even though some of these videos were taken by military personnel. And so, Videos don't mean anything to most, uh, uh, you know, uh, common sense uh, scientists and engineers and astronomers. Um, videos don't mean anything. And the United States government has yet to officially, yet to officially announce that UFOs exist. They have never said UFOs exist. They have only said that they will look into Mm -hmm. uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAPs, but not UFOs, because they aren't even sure if they are objects. So they don't mm -hmm. want to use the word UFOs. Interesting. Uh, they will use UAPs. Uh, Noria, why why don't the physicists um, like the videos? Why don't they give well, any because, credence to the videos? Yeah, because they don't prove anything. They They are not evidence that we are being visited by intelligent entities. The, the, they have never uh, proven that point yet. And second, the United States government has never ever announced that we are being visited by UFOs. 
right. not even once. Right. Uh, and the United States government has never uh, announced that we have been contacted by UFOs. And so these statements were never made by the United States government. And the only thing the United States government, the Pentagon, has admitted, admitted is that they must look into the unidentified aerial phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's as far as it goes. Right, sure. You know, that's a, I never thought of that distinction before, but yeah, they don't, they, they don't want to say that they're objects because they don't know if they're objects. It's funny. They, they're the ones who invented that term back in the 50s, yes. but now they're shying away from that. And, and, and maybe that's telling us something. Hey, listen, I just want to throw this to Tony Cisneros there for a second. Tony runs uh, Alp Ventures, which uh, takes people on tours of battle sites, uh, World War II battle sites in Europe. He also runs UFO tours. And Tony, what do you think of all this? Right. So uh, I'm I'm right there with you guys. Um, it's it's a very very complicated uh, uh, complicated subject, and um, I agree there is so much bunk out there. It makes it very difficult for the serious researchers and uh, for those for those people who have uh, had experiences, because there are people worldwide. Who have had experiences, both physical and, you know, uh, experiences, encounters, and things. So, um, it makes it very difficult for 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 the rest of the the, the people that you know want to get to the bottom of this. Uh, right. I think, and um, you know, as far as my tours go, um, you know, there's there's people that want answers that go on these trips, but there's there's also people that just want to sort of celebrate this whole culture. Uh, you know, and um, so it's it's kind of a, a fine line, you know, for me, because I, I don't want to, in other words, I don't just say, well, this is a UFO tour. We're just going to, uh, you know, uh, make all these blanket statements. No, yes. it's not about that. Um, it's about trying to provide, um, you know, research that, that I've done and that others have done um, and, and give them that research and let them make their own decisions, or at least they can try to make a better informed decision, you know, uh, if they know a little bit more, right. um, you know, how do you, how do you tell someone, you know, 20 years of research in, in two minutes, you can't. So uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that I think just don't do their homework. You know, they don't, they don't research this stuff. They look at the first program, the, the first TV show, the first, uh, you know, um, thing that gets their attraction and yep. and like you guys were saying that's all just uh, it's just entertainment right. you know that's just entertainment well they fall in so, love with it they fall in love you know they yeah. say oh wow this is a whole new thing you know maybe this is happening and i think a lot of people i mean you know I, when i once i had this meeting with this editor and he said to me there's there's two things you got to remember ufo books and books about angels okay no matter what you write everyone who buys that book wants to believe in it Mm -hmm. You know, which is mm -hmm. just a business thing, but it kind of shows you the mindset because I'd love to live in a world with angels, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I'd love to live in a world that UFOs are looking over for looking out for us, stopping us from having nuclear wars and stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the positive attitude, you know, but the chances of it like being like that, I, you know, I don't know, you know, we might be the native Americans and here comes Columbus, you know, I mean, there was a scientist today who said we shouldn't try to contact aliens because for the simple fact that, that they have a higher technology than us. And, you know, if they came here with, you know, less than friendly, you know, uh, intent, we're kind of screwed, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but anyway, can, but I, can I, I ask love... a question of Nurio. Yes, I've been thinking yes, about fun. this. 
Um, Norio, you, you know, I guess you're considered a UFO contrarian. So I'm curious of how you are treated when you go on shows like uh, Coast to Coast, which obviously is, you know, pushing the UFO phenomenon. And also, do you believe there's uh, life on other planets? That's a very good question. That, that's the question that everybody is asking. And uh, from logical reasons, yes, it will be logical as far as human logic is concerned that uh, there are other intelligence, intelligent entities elsewhere in this vast, 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 uh, humongous universe. And that is the human conception. And in my opinion, it's a presumption. And uh, we can't know the mind of whoever created this whole universe because humans have a tendency to assume that the creator who must have created this whole thing must have created other humans or entities, physical entities in this vast universe. And that is our presumptive, uh, you know, assumption. And so, uh, so that is very, uh, you know, everybody likes to believe it, but uh, we don't know the mind of the creator. And I am a believer that this world was created by somebody. But, uh, you know, I can't go into the mind of whoever created this whole thing, assuming that he must have created other beings elsewhere. And so that's my two cents worth. But, uh, you know, uh, let's go back to what's happening on this 25th of June. And that's when the United States government through the Pentagon, uh, especially uh, the day after the 24th of June, which is the 74th anniversary of the modern age of flying saucers. Oh, wow. Kenneth Arnold. Kenneth Arnold. Yes, Kenneth Arnold. So purposefully, the government chose the day after that, the 25th. So it will, it will blend in with the expectations uh, of the people. Right. And, uh, I live right here in New Mexico, uh, in Rio Rancho, which is right next to Albuquerque. But New Mexico is getting ready or the lunacy called the Roswell Festival <laughs> in the first uh, few days of July. And, uh, you know, with all these talk about uh, UFOs and the government, you know, I think the there are people who benefit commercially. Oh, yeah. These type of things. Many people have benefited from Roswell over the years, from books and TV shows and movies and, you know, the, and, and what they turn the town into. But nothing yes. happened at Roswell. I hate, you know, I say this all the time and I get email and everything. Just look at what, look at the evidence of Roswell. Some of the stuff that they found was rope, okay, in the debris field. What, what, what's a UFO doing with rope? You know, it makes more sense what the, what they were really talking about was these, you know, audio devices they were sending in balloons. Russia was our ally at the time, so you wanted to keep it quiet. And one of them crashed. Yes, uh, simple as that. What if they were That's trying right. to make a tire swing? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. You can I use know. rope for a tire swing. I'm just yeah. saying. So, okay, all right, if you're real. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious, you guys, if that was the case, though, why was the the commanding officer at the uh, Roswell Army Airfield that Colonel Blanchard, why was he adamant about issuing a press release saying that the Army had recovered a flying saucer? 
I think if I can answer that, I think what they were trying to do is dodge the fact that it was a top secret project. Exactly. And and that's the spin they came up with because remember it, it, you know this happened right after Kenneth Arnold, you know, uh, saw his just a few fight, weeks, yeah, just a few weeks later. And and in that and in those two weeks, there were like hundreds, hundreds of UFO sightings. All of a sudden, okay, maybe people are now looking up in the air, people are paying more attention. But what the government wanted to do is they want to kind of shut that down or whatever. I don't I don't know why they did it, but I don't know the thinking of why using UFO is the excuse. But I think that was the cover story. For the fact that we were sending spy devices over our quote unquote, you know, ally. Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was indeed uh, a top secret program. It was a high altitude reconnaissance, uh, mm-hmm. you know, item. And uh, so uh, I don't know why the government uh, got so worried about uh, releasing that, but uh, it played a role in, uh, in, in many things. And actually, there were only about less than six people who actually were actual first-hand witnesses to the debris field. Uh, and uh, all these stories about aliens and, uh, you know, hangers and all these stories came out, you know, 30 years after the Roswell incident when yes. they started joining in the bandwagon to become famous. And uh, that's where stories about aliens and uh, everything's autopsies and all these things started, uh, you know, after the book came out in 1980 called uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the Roswell Incident, right. uh, which was published uh, by uh, William. Who was that written by? William L. Moore, who mm-hmm. admitted in 1980 when he came, well, actually, he came to Albuquerque's uh, uh, Kirtland Air Force Base to meet with another self-claimed uh, UFO dis- disinformant by the name of Richard Doty. Uh, okay. He was here in Albuquerque in 1980, and they both uh, started to disseminate the Roswell story and the MJ-12 stories and uh, and the Dulce Base stories. Uh, and uh, these stories became, uh, 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 what <laughs> called it, a legend. Yes. And, Everybody believes in those. Yes, and there's nothing to any of them. It's 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 amazing how like those kind of stories like caught on that there are fifty thousand aliens in Dulcie Mountain, for instance. Okay, were they the same ones that hoaxed Paul Benowitz? Paul That's Benowitz right. was yeah he was in he was involved in that whole Kirkland Air Force thing and everything, which is a whole tragic story. Yeah, you know on on itself. But here's the thing: is <clears throat> I don't th- I think the go- U.S. government has a lot of evidence that something exists, but they don't know what it is. But let me just pivot real quick. One, what do we got? About ten minutes left, Juan? Uh, we we do about twelve minutes. Nah, nah, nah. Okay, let's just talk about Area Fifty One for a second, Norio, though. Okay, because yes. yeah, all right. So there might not be this stuff going on, and there isn't this stuff going on. But that doesn't mean that there isn't like some really weird stuff going on at Area Fifty One. That's true. I believe so uh, because uh, you know there are at least. 2,000 to 2,200 uh, employees there, even today, mm-hmm. that are working on highly compartment, compartmentalized programs that a lot of people uh, don't know anything about. Uh, but uh, uh, I don't think they have anything to do with aliens. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's something going on at uh, Area 51. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a very important facility, and it's our part of our hardworking tax dollars. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we have a right to know what's going on, but, uh, you know, to a certain level, to a certain degree, yes. 
Right. I but, mean, you. I mean, basically, what happened is the stealth fighters were developed there, the stealth bomber, you know, all kinds of kind of stuff like that. And I remember reading once that they say, you know, like nine out of ten projects there don't, you know, come to fruition. But what you learn in between one to nine winds up in number ten, like you know, the stealth fighter or something like that. But you know, I know they they have to be working on this hyperspeed, this hyperplane where you can go like five, six, seven thousand miles an hour, that type of stuff. Um, and, and who knows what else they're working on. But it's it's interesting that it's the most famous secret base in the world, for one thing. Everyone knows about it. And and it's it's it it, it has always kind of been in the news since 1980 with Bob Lazar, which is definitely another show. But um I mean if 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 this government was had a piece of a UFO or a crash UFO, they wouldn't be hiding it at Area 51 because there's a number of other places that we don't even know about. Exactly. That they would hide it, you know. So uh listen, Norio, we got about five minutes left, so we're gonna talk music here for a second, okay? Sure. <clears throat> so you play keyboards, you play out. Do you play out in the out on the town and stuff? Yes, uh, thank God that this uh, craziness of pandemic is slowly, uh, you know, subsiding. Yes. And in New Mexico, uh, I think, uh, well, I was able to get a couple of gigs in the past uh, two weeks. So yes. slowly things are opening up. So uh, I have been playing at nursing homes and retired uh, uh, senior apartments and uh, all these places. And so... Really? Yeah, that's my hobby, and uh, I get a blessing out of performing mm -hmm. live music uh, in front of people who like this kind of music. In other words, the music of the 60s, 70s, 50s, oh. 60s, and 70s. The music yes. of the 60s, 70s, you, and 80s. What are you, playing, what are you playing, Nario? Homes? Is that what we're saying? That's right. There are yeah, a okay. lot of people who Ofa. like music <laughs> in nursing homes. I love it. Ofa. Yes. I'm glad they enjoy it. In so, fact, uh, uh, yes, when I play uh, stuff like uh, Hotel California by the Eagles, uh, oh. these songs at nursing homes, okay. uh, nursing right. homes and uh, they are all in that generation. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you a question, Norio. Are you ready? Yes. What do bass players use for birth control? Bass players <laughs> use, use for birth control? Uh, no. Their personalities. Come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So listen, Norio, we got like two minutes left. Ever see anything scary in your funeral home? Anything really yes. weird you out? Tell us. Yes. The only scary thing that happened to me while, while I was working as a funeral director was when I was sleeping upstairs by myself. Oof. When one evening around three o'clock in the morning, I heard my voice uh, <gasps> calling. And uh, <laughs> later I found <sighs> that... Uh, uh, two weeks later, my father passed away, and it was the voice of my father who was calling my name. Oh man, wow. this sleep that's a good one. But uh, it was weird. I and it was at three a.m. Yes, it distinctly called my name in a funeral home. Get up! That's... I couldn't move. Wow, but three a.m. is that's the witching hour. That's, that's witch when is. spirits well, are are highly active. And, yes, and that's two weeks later, crazy. my father died, and I went to Japan to attend the funeral. Wow, oh oh, man, that is, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say creepy, but it's scary. Okay, super duper. So nothing, uh, oh. no no corpses sitting up in the coffin or uh, no, jigging around? No, I have like to that. see any movement. Yeah, okay, good. That's good to know. <laughs> All right. 
Well, listen, Norio, we got to have you back on again soon, okay? Because you're well, a fascinating character. Thank you so character. much, uh, everybody. It's it was my great pleasure. Uh, uh, you know, everybody. Very. I'm glad. Much. And you think <laughs> like us. Good, yeah. good job, Norio. Thanks. You think like Thanks. most of us. Uh, but hang on. So, uh, Tony, uh, thank you for joining us and for hanging in with us. My pleasure, Mac. Always, uh, always fun. Alp Ventures. AlpVentures.com. Is it .com? Yep. AlpVentures.com. Yep. A-L-P-Ventures.com. You know, if you want to uh, tour World War II battle sites over in Europe, I'll go on a UFO tour maybe. Uh, just Google them. AlpVentures.com. Thanks, Tony. Club, thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure. It's a great night tonight. Learned a lot. And for sitting through that, um, you know, top 10 reasons why you want to be the security chief. I well, thought I the, agree with everything you said. I thought the Wendy <laughs> Belgium one, we're going to have to sweeten that up. I thought that was going to be a big laugh. You know, <laughs> yeah, That's a good yeah. well, you know, too local of crowd. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Raven, it's time. Sorry. Okay, Mac. I mean, I learned a lot. Yes. And I'm four beers in, so okay. it's good. Are you, you know? gonna play? Gonna... It's good. Can you can it's you good, play man. the uh, can you play the ukulele for us sometime? So That's... I only know one song. What's the and song? I need to... <laughs> You're gonna laugh. Honey, smoke on, it's... smoke on the water. It's you are my sunshine. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> we'll but if I'm gonna play it, I need to warm up and. And okay. do it, you know. Got it. Yeah. Can we, can, can How we many watch? Beers in? Yeah. <laughs> you can watch. It's okay. not going to be good, but <laughs> go ahead. It doesn't bother us. Okay, we'll do that on an upcoming show. Switchy, thanks for joining us, Switchy. That was fun tonight. Great to be. You here. had you had that, what is it? Braised beef. What you have for breakfast? Uh, I had a uh, <laughs> what's it? Uh, something uh, beef steak. Uh, beef great. steak. Yeah. What's, wow. What time what in the it, morning? Some kind of beef, beef product. It was, it, was, it was later like in the morning. Like it was almost considered a brunch. Oh, it's just a steak. Oh, That's it. Yeah. It's like a steak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't eat meat. I don't know what these things are. It's a I don't hamburger. Eat. It's a it's hamburger. Yeah, that they charge a triple for. Mystery meat. They called it in school. Yeah, but they make it and they serve it to you. You know, it's not like that's this. true. You know, that's, that's, yeah, that's like you're thing. not making it yourself. Yeah, like somebody, right. yeah, you, yeah, can't yeah. Make you sit down in a comfy chair, you can read your book, you know, and yep. get back. I hear read you. your book. I hear you. Yeah, what were you reading? Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, the one uh, sale everywhere in in uh in, in <laughs> preparation for the landing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> All right, okay. It'd be a good fringe topic someday. Okay, good. Sounds good. Okay, well, listen, uh, thank you, one, one. I you guess you're it. the only one left. Right? Do the plugs. Yeah, do the plugs. Oh, do the plugs. Okay. Do the plugs um, let's see. Homes for our troops. Uh, just Google Homes for our troops. They're a military charity. 88 cents out of every dollar goes to them. And what they do is they, they build homes for our veterans who were wounded severely in the Afghan or Iraqi war, people who have lost limbs and so on. And they build these houses so they can get around easy and, easy and easier. And then when they're done, they just give them the keys, no mortgage, nothing. They deserve it. And they've done like about 250 of these homes already. Wow. Homesfrottroops.com. Yeah. Just Google them and, uh, you know, throw them a few bucks. Also, uh, the People's Mosquito Project, our uh, good friend Ross Shop and his mad Englishman friend are putting back together a uh, war plane from World War II called the Mosquito. It was made all of wood because they're running out of steel. But someone had the bright idea to put two Rolls Royce engines on it, and it turned out. So it's to be a the luxury plane made of wood. Tony, have you ever heard what heard of this thing, the mosquito? You've heard of what? it, Tony, right? Yeah, the what you oh the mosquito, sure. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <clears throat> it turned out to be the fastest thing in World War II for about two and a half years. 
They didn't arm them. A lot of them weren't armed because uh, they, why one one? They outran the bullets. So if you're they shooting at it, they could them. dodge the bullets <laughs> yeah. by sheer speed. Why, you know, why waste your ammo? Yeah. Right. They could also fly very high. That was another thing, too. So they're putting the back together this uh, mosquito, and one one has uh, volunteered to be the first civilian brought up in it That's without right. a parachute. Without a parachute. But apparently a long scarf that is. Just a scarf. I'll look a long like. Scarf, uh, though, right? I'll look like Snoopy okay. the dog. Yeah, you're gonna look like Snoopy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like Snoopy. It'll be, you hit the it'll be hang on Snoopy. It'll look like <laughs> black. Yeah. Okay. Can I have your record collection before you go? You okay, I will. I will my record, my vinyl collection to you. Yeah, definitely. No, no. We need to split that. Oh, okay. okay. I'll split it with you. We That's okay. To, yeah, okay, we'll split okay. it. Good right. deal. Okay. Well, I'm gonna... <laughs> thank you. So, when uh, thank everyone uh, for joining us tonight, and thanks for uh, listening to us on. Uh, Apple Podcasts and the other 28 pod platforms. Every, every podcast under we the We really sun. appreciate it. Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean. Yeah. Just we, name can, a few. we don't have time to go through them all, but just yeah. just Google us oh, and we're, we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. All around the world, number 18 in New Zealand two weeks ago. 18, New Zealand, huh? baby. Mm. Number 18. Thanks, New Zealand. Time. New Zealand yeah. is yes, an amazing place. News and commentary. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thanks, everyone, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And this is back for the entire gang. Until the next time you hear us, be safe, be happy, and bye-bye.